0: Well, good morning. My name is Jessica Eiplecht. I am pastor to students here at Fairfax Church. It's really good to be with you. Um, can I start by telling you just a little story? It has nothing to do with the message. Just the story. Um, so uh, this past week, um, we—I had so I had a dream on Friday night. Okay, I'm going to tell you about my dream, but I need to give you some setup. For- so, uh, how many of you um, the sick the sickness has struck your household in some way, like whatever the cough, the RSV, the whatever it is? Okay, we have not we are no exception. It has hit our house as well, um, not as bad as uh, I've heard that it's hit some people, but um, but yeah, it's it's we've had we've had the cough and all of that, and. Um, this past week, last last Friday, my husband left the country for a week, the first time that he has done an overseas trip since before COVID, and um, he used to go overseas uh, all the time, like like many times a year. He would be gone for a week, sometimes two weeks, um, but he hasn't done it since COVID, and we've added a person to our family since then, right? So this was the first time that uh, that it was gonna be just me, and, um, and it was fine. We survived. The kids survived. Everything was fine, but when he left, we were all um, a little bit sick, and, uh, and he wasn't here all week, and so I had just, like, you know, i braced myself. Like, you know, you go in. It's like game face. Like, it's game day, right? Like, so, um, and, and it went fine, but... I knew that when he got back, he got back on Thursday, and I knew that uh, after he got back, I needed to do this with you guys. And here's the thing, normally when I'm going to be in here for Rod, when I'm going to be with you all on the weekend, then I like to be pretty much done with the message by Thursday night right? Like, I, I like to have a couple of days to like ruminate on it, maybe rewrite it, whatever it is. But I like to be done with it by, uh, by Thursday night. And this time, because, uh, because Kevin didn't get back, I knew I wasn't really going to have like the extra margin to put into it. And so I didn't start it until Thursday, okay? So, uh, Friday night, I had this dream. I used to have this dream almost every time I was gonna come and and preach with you guys, but I haven't had it in a while. Um, I had this dream on Friday night. Um, for those of you who have been around a while you maybe remember that we used to have a Saturday night service and uh, in my dream I was supposed to be preaching this weekend and I I was I didn't make it for the Saturday night service and for some reason Rod was here I don't know why because you know normally like right now he's in Kenya normally he's out of town when um, somebody's filling in for him but for some reason he was here and he had to f- preach for me on the fly right and for some reason in my dream I wasn't answering my text messages so nobody knew where I was or why I wasn't there and I was Trying to get there. Have you ever had those those moments where you feel like you're like walking in water and you're like you're just like slow. You like you can't. Okay, so that's what was happening in my dream. Was like I was trying and I couldn't get there. And I walked in the doors as all of you were headed out. Okay, so like the service was ending about the time that I got here, and uh, and I'm thinking as you're walking out and I'm walking in we don't have a Saturday night service anymore. This is a dream. I'm gonna wake up from this any minute and find out it's a dream, but it kept going and going, and eventually I had to come down here in my dream and face my boss, who I had just missed preaching, and had to have the whole conversation. I did not wake up until the conversation was over, okay? The whole thing. I will never start my message on Thursday ever again, all right? This is my commitment to you. So... So that's where we've been living this week. Um, We are uh, in a study on uh, 1 Samuel, and it's called Kings and Prophets, First Samuel is a really interesting book, it's named after Samuel, who is kind of ushering in the age of the kings, as we, um, you maybe remember that the, we had the age of the judges, where one judge after another would kind of rule loosely over the various tribes of Israel. But when Samuel comes in, he ushers in a new age as a prophet, and he, uh, he anoints Saul, the first king of Israel, and begins this new age of the kings. And so Samuel's a really important figure in Israel, Israeli history. Um, but uh, kings and prophets um, are leaders. And it's our tendency to think of kings as civil leaders and prophets as spiritual leaders. But in 1 Samuel, it's just not that simple. Um, really, in, in life, it's not that simple. The leadership that kings provide demands deep spirituality and a total dependency on God. And in Israel, they were expected to be following after God, right? The kings were expected to be aligning themselves in their decisions. With God and prophets uh, were leaders who had huge implications in civil life because they were called on God to speak truth to power. Some prophets we know were court prophets who had a kind of an official job within the king's court. Prophets like Isaiah or in this case uh, Nathan or Samuel in First and Second Samuel, and so we see that where sometimes they're, um, they are, are civil leaders or political leaders in a formal way, and other times, like in Jeremiah, they are not part of the king's court and they're speaking truth to power from outside but regardless it's the job of the prophet to tell the king when the king has gone has gone astray or when the king what the right decision is or whatever it is so regardless um prophets are are speaking truth to power the reality is that all of us are leaders too Whether you are a leader at your company or in your department, maybe you're a leader in a classroom, maybe you're a leader in your home, maybe you have leadership in your family, uh, whatever it is, we all have a place where we provide some leadership to others, a way in which something has been entrusted to us and we are providing leadership for those people or for that thing. And, uh, And so all of us are leaders and that's why 1 Samuel is so relevant to all of us. Last week, Rod talked about, uh, so we have King Saul, the first king of Israel, and King Saul has a son, Jonathan, and he is kind of the heir apparent. He's the, the crown prince of Israel, if you will. And um, and so you would think that uh, that the crown's going to be passed from Saul onto Jonathan, but as we know, there's this, this shepherd boy, David, who has been anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. And so, um, and he's killed Goliath, and he's having all sorts of victories in battle, and so his stature is kind of rising in court and last week Rod talked about how uh, Saul and David Saul had become very envious of David and uh and that we all kind of play that envy game sometimes right that comparison game that Saul had started playing with David and we all lose it pretty much every time right the house always wins when we compare ourselves to other people you know what I mean um and that makes, that makes Saul even more envious of David, and eventually that envy turns into this murderous rage. And that's kind of the backdrop for what we're going to talk about today, because today we're not talking nearly as much about Saul or even David. We're going to focus on Saul's son, Jonathan, and kind of this parallel thing that's happening in Jonathan's life alongside of all of this chaos that's happening in David and Saul's story. So we're going to pick up the story just after the defeat of Goliath at the hands of David in chapter 18, verse 1. And if this sounds familiar to you, that's because Rod kind of brought us just to this point uh, last week and talked a little bit about this passage last week. So it's a little bit of a review. So after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. So first, I'm not sure I have ever really encountered a passage with as wildly different translations as 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 4, especially some of the first part. Depending on the translation that you're reading, you can take a lot of different meanings from this part of 1 Samuel, and for good reason. The Hebrew that is here translated as, became one in spirit with David— is a version of the English verb to bind. So the Hebrew word is not uncommon. It's a, it's a pretty common word used in Hebrew. And uh, it can mean physically to like literally tie something to something else, to bind two things together. Or more metaphorically, it can mean uh, more, one or more people who are not one or having more than one, but uh, multiple people, two or more people, there we go, that are bound together for nefarious purposes for, uh, like, like to rob a bank type thing, right? So, like, think of, this maybe dates me, but uh, think of, like, the Ocean's Eleven movies, right? Where all of these people find themselves bound together, that they are all, they're one unit, right? They all have these different skill sets that they're all required in order to rob the casino or rob the arch or whatever it is that they're doing. Like, in order to, to do that, they all have to work together. They're all necessary. They're all needed. And, like, one person can't like just drop out or the whole plan falls apart, right? And so that's, that's kind of the idea that we're talking about here. Um, but not like for the good of the world, right? You're doing it to rob a bank. So that's an important piece of uh, how this word usually gets used in the Bible. Except here, this is the only instance in our Bible where uh, this word is being used positively. And so translators do all sorts of verbal gymnastics to try to make it work. And the point is that Jonathan, who's the crown prince of Israel, sees something in David, this shepherd boy who's had this big military victory, that impresses him so much that he seeks him out and determines that they need to be friends. But don't make too much of the overt emotional language that you see here. While it is 1,000% true that these two men became committed and loyal friends— The words that are used here, uh, the Hebrew words, the words that here are talking about um, loving one another and things like that, those are words that are really generic and common words and in other places where we see them in kind of a diplomatic context, they are used with reference to um, two people who love one another and so they join into a political alliance with one another right? And so consistently, the author of Samuel wants you to know that there is a genuine friendship happening and also a political alliance that is forming, that it is both a political relationship and a genuine friendship. I tend to be a bit of a night owl, and uh, sometimes I find myself up late after everyone's gone to bed uh, watching a movie and folding laundry. Um, and uh, maybe that's you, too. Maybe you can relate to that. The thing is, if I'm actually going to get any laundry folded then I have to be watching a movie that I don't really need to pay that close of attention to, right? That I can just sort of have an ear on while I'm doing other things. And so a few months ago, um, I started watching the Marvel movies in like cinematic order from the very beginning, okay? You either think like way better of me or way worse of me now after revealing this to you. Um, And I've been going very slowly because I usually can only make it like 30 minutes at a time and, you know, sometimes like weeks go by and this just doesn't happen in my life for whatever reason. But... um, but I just finished uh, Thor 2, is the one that I just finished this week. And so um, here's, think about, if you've seen Thor 2, oh, by the way, the other reason why I like doing this is because I don't need to watch them destroy the island of Manhattan. I can just know they did that and move on, right? So when I watch them uh, on Disney+, Plus, I can fast forward through all of those parts, because I don't, I don't need to watch that. Um, and so Thor 2 had a, a lot of fast forward parts for me. But um, there was also in Thor 2, and in, in the first Thor... <laughs> You guys are like, I haven't thought about those movies in so long. I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, so Thor has this band of friends. There's these four friends that he has, three guys and a girl, and they are like so loyal to him. Like they're they're loyal to one another, right? And it's genuine friendship that you can see as you watch the movie, it comes through that they're genuine friends who care about one another. They would die for one another. They protect one another on battle. But it is also this firm belief and loyalty to the kingdom of Asgard, which is the planet or whatever, the realm that they all are from. Okay, so when Thor makes a decision that they're not so sure about, he convinces them not just because of their loyalty to him, but because of their loyalty to Asgard That they should go into it okay so there's this do you see how there's this like dual this dual thing that's happening that's kind of what we're getting at with david and jonathan they both want to do what's best for israel and what's best for one another i hope that's maybe helpful in some way so Okay, so Rod touched on this last week, but uh, Jonathan, in this passage, he gives his, uh, his cloak over and, um, and his battle garb, and symbolically, this is Jonathan acknowledging, at least in sort of an anticipatory way, that, uh, that David is destined to be king. And at this point, David becomes a part of the royal court. There's that part in the verse that says that Saul wouldn't, like, let him return to his family, right? That just means that he made him a part of the royal court, so he lives at the palace now to the extent that there's a palace at this point. Um, one thing I want you to pay attention to, and this is going to come up, is that uh, all of this happens at the initiative of Jonathan. That He's driving the train here because he's seen something in David that impresses him that causes him to be the one to take the initiative in the friendship. There's a little bit of a power dynamic at play, right? Because he's the crown prince and David is this little shepherd dude, right? But So uh, but there's a little bit of a power dynamic, but, um, but Jonathan in that power dynamic is acknowledging that David is somehow destined for the throne. And so Jonathan is the one who's taking the initiative in this relationship with David. Now, I don't know what it's like to try to make friends in the 10th century BCE. But I do know what it's like to try to make friends in 2022, particularly as an adult. And even more so when you live in an area like ours where people tend to come in and out uh, pretty regularly, right? People move in and they move out. Um, Friendship has taken a hit in recent years. We tend to trivialize friendships. We tend to deprioritize friendships. Um, We often hold up romantic relationships as, like, the pinnacle of human connection, and all other relationships are, like, second tier to those. And in the past few years, many of us have experienced the end of friendships. Um, If you Google friendship breakups, the entire first page, with the exception of two articles, are from the years 2021 or 2022. And of those two that aren't, one of them is from 2018, and the other one is undated. I searched, I couldn't find it. So there's all these articles out there right now about how hard it is to break up with a friend. Um, I think it's an absolute tragedy of our cultural moment right now, in my opinion, that we are so often willing to sacrifice a relationship on the altar of our own passionately held opinions or beliefs. I'm not saying don't have them, have them. Have passionately held beliefs and opinions. I just think, I guess, that particularly as Christ followers, that we should first prioritize loving God and loving others. And how can we ever move forward, especially as a country, if we, don't, if we just cut people off when we don't agree with them? Just as a disclaimer, I know that there are some relationships that need to be ended, that are toxic or that uh, are bad or harming your mental health in some way. I'm not talking about those relationships. But article after article talks about how friendship breakups are just as painful, or in some cases more so, than uh, a romantic breakup. And maybe you can relate to that. I know I can. Um, my daughter Ella will be five at the end of the year, and she refers to all of her friends as her best friends. It doesn't matter if she sees them all the time or if she sees them twice a year, they're her best friend. And uh, I think that's great, right? Um, When you're little, you don't have this, like, long list of prerequisites for uh, what you have to have in order to be friends with someone, right? Like, you don't need the last 12 years of voting history to be in a friendship with someone when you're four, okay? So, um, also, I saw this pop up on Instagram this week. My first grader excitedly said, Mom, something so cool happened today. I made a new friend. We just started to talk, and we have so much in common. I said, That sounds wonderful. Like, what? And he proudly said, She likes to eat pasta and give hugs, too. I think that's great. I think those are great prerequisites for friendship, right? Uh, And you see the caption that says like, if only adult friendships were that easy. And I, I like relate to that. I think that's so true. So yes, I think friendship is a complicated subject in 2022, but I also think that they're necessary, that they're critical to our health and well-being. that the more isolated we allow ourselves to be, the more our health suffers across every metric. So we're going to look at a few pieces of this narrative of David and Jonathan to help us think about some steps that we can take to strengthen the friendships in our lives that we already have and maybe some ways to make some new ones. And I think it's worth saying, especially with Thanksgiving in a couple of weeks and Christmas uh, next month, that as you are facing the holidays, that these, some of these, all three of these things work in uh, every relationship in your life, right? And so you might be looking at this holiday season with maybe some family members that you are nervous about, or maybe that could use some strengthening of the relationship. And I think Jonathan in particular has some things to help us with here also. So first, from what we read in chapter 18, the first thing is that friends see and call out God's work in someone else's life. In those first few verses that we read, Jonathan notices and is impressed by David. I mean, everyone is because he just killed Goliath. But Jonathan takes it this step further, right? He takes the initiative to make a new friend in David. He recognizes something special in him that makes him want to know him more, makes Jonathan want to know David more, wants to be in his life. The message says that he was deeply impressed and an immediate bond was formed between them. He would become David's number one advocate and friend. Now, sometimes it can be really hard to take initiative. For some of you, that's terrifying. Like, to send the first text or to make the first phone call to be like, hey, you want to get coffee or have lunch sometime? Like, you would rather just shrivel up and die in your chair right now than do that. And I understand that. I do. But I think that Jonathan maybe is giving us a different way to go about this. Jonathan's saying, maybe try this. Hey, you, I really admire the way that you parent, like, all of those children that you have. Can I ask you some questions about that? Or maybe um, you handled that presentation at work so well. I thought that was great. Just that, just that. Or, um, hey, your story that you told in small group the other week, it really meant something to me. Thank you for taking the time to share it. And just seeing where the conversation goes from there. It's... I mean, it's natural. If you want to be friends with the person, I assume it's because you see something you like about them. So start by telling them what the thing is that you see, right? Start by just saying, hey, I like that about you. That's all you have to do. And it's not disingenuous if it's true, right? So that's like the first step. You see and you call out. God is doing something in this person's life. Whatever it is, whether it's whether they're growing at work, whether they're growing in their home, whether they're growing in their faith, whatever it is, God's doing something in this person's life. All you're doing is noticing, and letting them know you noticed, and seeing what happens from there. Uh, but we don't just call, see, and call out God's work in the lives of people that we'd maybe like to be friends with. We do it in all of our relationships. And if we're not, then let me challenge you to try. Like hopefully you're already doing this with your kids, right, if you have them. Like you're seeing what God's doing in their lives and calling it out in them, right? So hopefully you're doing it with with other people that are important to you, where you see something that they're doing, you see God doing something in their life and you're telling them. If not, then maybe that's something you could focus on. To see something happening in a person's life, to call it out and to lift up how you see God working through that person. It's game-changing for relationships, I mentioned that the backdrop for the relationship between David and Jonathan is that Saul has become extremely envious of David and eventually wants him dead. And in fact, in chapter 9, verse 1, he orders Jonathan to kill David, even though he knows that he and David are BFF. So chapter 19, verse 1, Saul ordered his son Jonathan and all his servants to kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, liked David very much. So Jonathan warned David, my father Saul is trying to kill you. Be on guard tomorrow morning. Stay somewhere safe and hide. I'll go out and stand by my father in the field where you'll be. I'll talk to my father about you, and I'll tell you whatever I find out. So Jonathan spoke highly about David to his father Saul, telling him, the king shouldn't do anything wrong to his servant David because he hasn't wronged you. In fact, his actions have helped you greatly. He risked his own life when he killed the Philistine, and the Lord won a great victory for all Israel. You saw it and were happy about it. Why then would you do something wrong to an innocent person by killing David for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and then swore, as surely as the Lord lives, David won't be executed. So Jonathan summoned David and told him everything they had talked about. Then Jonathan brought David back to Saul, and David served Saul as he had previously. So not only does Jonathan defy his father's direct order to kill David, but he goes a step further, goes to David and tells him to hide while he sorts the whole thing out and then he goes back to his father to talk him down and it works, at least for a little while. Literally, Jonathan promises to stand at the hand of his father as David's advocate. He intercedes both for and with David to protect him from Saul. Friends advocate for one another and stand, even when it could cost them. Jonathan advocates for David even when it could cost him. Defying a direct order from the king, giving the person that the king wants dead safety, and then going a step further to openly support David before the king, Jonathan has a lot to lose here, but he did it anyway. Now, I sincerely hope that you never have to risk your own life or well-being to advocate for a friend. I know some of you in your line of work, you put your life at risk for someone else all the time, and we are grateful for that but I hope that this level of extreme where somebody wants to kill somebody and you are advocating for them, I hope that this never happens to you, right? But um, maybe there are other ways that you can advocate. We all want someone to have our back when the world is falling apart. Someone to advocate on our behalf or someone who's willing to make some sacrifices for our well-being. And I hope that you have friends like that or I hope that you find friends like that, but mostly I hope that you are a friend like that. I hope you can be someone who supports your friends with your time and your energy and your encouragement, your effort. Sometimes doing those things inconveniences us in some way, causes us to have to rearrange some things or maybe say no to something else so that uh, we can show up for a friend. We have these neighbors, Jessica and Steve, and they have a daughter, Tamson, who is uh, Ella's actual best friend. And um, we spend a lot of time together because the girls like to play and we're neighbors. And... Um, I had, a couple of weeks ago, what, uh, calling it a, a childcare care crisis feels extreme, but if you've ever had a moment where you have no one to take care of your children, then you can maybe appreciate why it feels like a crisis, okay? So, the deal was, it was, um, I, so we have this wonderful, wonderful nanny. She's fabulous. We adore her. I will sing her praises all day, every day, um, and she, uh, was, she's been with us since Ella was three months old, and, um, She was supposed to keep the girls for me a little bit late, one Friday night, a couple of weeks ago. So she's supposed to be done at five, right? So this was extending the time that the girls would be with her because I needed to go officiate a wedding that was a little ways out. And Kevin had a meeting in D.C. that he absolutely could not skip out on, right? So, um, and this was arranged and, and she, Busina was good to go. Like, it was fine. And then something came up in Busina's life and she could no longer keep the girls late like we needed her to. And it happened on Thursday before we needed her on Friday. So on Thursday, with like, you don't want, if you're a bride, you don't want your officiant calling you on Thursday to say, hey, I can't be at your wedding tomorrow, right? Like, that's bad. So that isn't an option. I can't just call out of the wedding, right? And, and Kevin couldn't call out of this meeting, and so we had to find somebody. And all of our, like we have people, we have uh, people that we call in a pinch, but for various reasons, all of those people were not able to help us out in this moment. And so it was like, had nobody. So I texted Jessica. I was like, hey, she works from home. I was like, hey, could the girls hang out at your house for a little bit um, until Kevin is able to get there? And, uh, and Jessica not only said yes, but she ended up clocking out of work early that day so that she could go pick Tamsin up at school and have her home before Ella and Ella Annalise ever got there so that it would be like a good experience for them. It wasn't like she could have just put him in front of like, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, right? Like she could have just put him in front of the TV and then gone back to work or whatever, and it could have been fine. But she didn't do that. Instead, she rearranged her entire schedule to go above and beyond so that I would feel good about where my kids were going to be for that like hour and a half that we were like missing time, right? She didn't have to do that, but it was a big deal. And then we can also advocate for our friends. We can advocate for our friends to God by praying for them. We can bring their needs before God and uh, with others as well. We can advocate with other people on behalf of our friends. We advocate for others any time we publicly support them in some way or lend them our credibility or our reputation with someone else or we speak up on their behalf or help them in some way. I think this type of thing most obviously shows up at work. Like when you're aware of an opportunity that a friend would be great for and you uh, recommend them for it or you vouch for them or you push them forward towards that opportunity, um, you know, like, it could, be, it could be something that you would have been interested in or not. Like, it could be something that you have no interest in. But when you recommend someone else for something, like, that could blow up in your face, right? They could be horrible at it. But when you lend your credibility or when you lend your reputation for somebody else, then you're, you're risking something in that. You're advocating for them in some way. But the other place that this type of friendship shows up in some of our most vulnerable or scary moments is when someone is facing maybe a medical diagnosis and a friend shows up at the doctor's office with them, so there's a second set of ears on all the information. Or or maybe when there's a legal issue that's going on, and you advocate on behalf of your friend in a legal capacity. Or maybe uh, when racial or misogynistic or otherwise prejudicial statements are being made, whether specifically about someone that we know or not. When we speak up, those are all opportunities to be advocates. And then there's one more piece of Jonathan and David's friendship that we're going to look at today, and it's in the next chapter, chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Then David fled from Naoth to Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to kill me? Never, Jonathan replied. You are not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything, great or small, without letting me know. Why would he hide this from me? It isn't so. So Saul has decided again that David needs to die, and David hears about this, and so he goes to Jonathan, and Jonathan is like, no, that's not going to happen. This is our kind of best picture that we get of these two men's personalities, not just here, but throughout David's story. David is cunning, he's cautious, he's clever, he takes advantage of opportunities when they're presented to him, right? Like, he doesn't, he doesn't let an opportunity go by. Um, <laughs> excuse me. Sorry. Sorry. Um, Whereas Jonathan, uh, Jonathan is uh, um, very trusting, and he's always trusting, he's well-meaning, almost like to the point of being naive. Um, he's, like, he's like, how can my father possibly want to kill He promised me like not that long ago that he was never going to do that. There's no way my father wants to kill you, right? Uh, and, um, and, John, and David is like, no, I, I really think he does. And so... Um, So, and then what David says in his response to Jonathan is one of the most striking lines of the whole text. David says to Jonathan, your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. So the two men devise a plan to find out Saul's Real intent. Or rather, David has a plan and Jonathan agrees to it. And more than one commentator believes that David's idea, which is to skip out on this royal feast and see how Saul. Reacts to it, so the idea is that there's this there's this big royal feast that's coming. David's been invited. He's just not going to show up. He's going to say that he went home to spend the feast with his family instead. And when Saul notices that David isn't there, we'll see how Saul responds. He'll either freak out, and then we'll know that he wants David dead, and that was going to be like an opportunity to kill him or whatever. Or he'll be like, "Oh, that's cool," and then we'll know that everything is fine and David can come back. So this is the plan. But several commentators believe that David uh, brings the plan forward because he knows that Saul wants him dead. He's just trying to get Jonathan to see that Saul wants him dead. He's trying to bring Jonathan along. He knows just how volatile Saul can be because he's experienced it over and over again. But Jonathan's a- so just, Yeah, but Jonathan's a little more naive, and so he's trying to like, he's trying to get him there, right? Um so uh in the most direct way so far, Jonathan then acknowledges that David, rather than himself, will be the next king of Israel. And along with that admission, he swears loyalty to David and requests an equal measure of loyalty in return. In verses 12 through 15, I pledge by the Lord God of Israel that I will question my father by this time tomorrow or on the third day. If he seems favorable toward David, I will definitely send word and make sure you know. But if my father intends to harm you, then may the Lord deal harshly with me, Jonathan, and worse still, if I don't tell you right away so that you can escape safely. May the Lord be with you as he once was with my father, if I remain alive, be loyal to me. But if I die, don't ever stop being loyal to my household. So the third thing that I think we can learn from Jonathan in this moment is that no matter what happens, Jonathan can be trusted. David can trust Jonathan to be honest with him, to be loyal to him, to do the right thing by him, because he has in the past, but also because that's just the kind of person that Jonathan is. He's trustworthy. And it's a critical quality in friendships and relationships, right? That's not, I'm not saying anything revolutionary there. We know that. What strikes me in this passage, though, and in the one before it, is that Jonathan also trusts his father until his father demonstrates that he can't be trusted. And it's hard to trust someone new. It's even harder to trust someone uh, sometimes. It's even harder to trust someone when you've known them for like a really long time and actually have known them in times when they were not trustworthy. It's hard to trust someone. It's hard to trust someone if you've been betrayed by someone in the past. It's hard to trust them again, but sometimes that relationship maybe is gone, and a new relationship is in front of you now, and something about this new relationship is triggering of what happened before, and so trusting this new person becomes really hard because of what happened with someone else. Trust is so tricky. And trust inherently comes with risks, Like, the person might not be worth your trust. It could happen. You could get hurt again. But it's a risk that we all have to take. Now, I'm not asking you today to pledge your loyalty and the loyalty of your future generations to anyone, okay? But you can take a first step to trust someone. You can be a little bit vulnerable. You can let someone in a little bit more than you have before. This is true in the hangar we have small groups. All of our students are in small groups in the hangar. And the difference between a small group that makes it to 12th grade together, the difference in a small group that uh, is just a group of people who hang out for a while on on Sundays and a group that walks through life together and builds significant bonds with one another is the level of trust and the level of vulnerability. And this is true in student small groups, and it's true in adult small groups. And here's the thing. Someone has to go first. Someone has to go first someone has to be the first one to say hey so this thing is happening in my life or so hey I'm struggling with this thing in my faith there's this piece that I have a question about that it's making it hard for me to get on board with some of these other things or whatever someone has to be vulnerable and go first so that other people then feel safe to be vulnerable so that other people can say me too let me tell you about how I experienced that it's the only, it's the, one of the most, it's the way, it's the way that we grow together is by actually sharing with one another, by actually sharing our lives with one another. And it is risky, but the only way to earn trust is to test it, just with baby steps. And so if there's a relationship in your life that you're looking to go deeper in or a new friendship that you're working on, maybe just take a baby step of trust and see what happens. I did this last year. There was a woman in my life who um, I have been friends with and that I really deeply admire and respect. Um, But for various reasons, our lives had thrown—we had been thrown together in some ways that we'd been spending a lot more time together. Um, But for various reasons, I had uh, not—I had not talked about much much, much about myself and um, had not really let her in in my own life. Not because I didn't want to or I hadn't made any choice to do that. It was just the circumstances. But I remember the lunch vividly that turned all of that. Um, I made a choice to be vulnerable with her. I didn't go into the lunch thinking, like, today's the day that I'm going to tell her all the things, right? Like, I didn't go into it thinking that it was kind of a right place at the right time kind of thing. But in, the, in that lunch, I made a choice to tell her what was really going on in my life, to share with her some things that I hadn't told very many people at that point, and let her in in some ways that... Um, have paid off in dividends. She proved to be worthy of my trust, and uh, I strive to continue to be worthy of hers because she's become a really important person in my life. And that lunch changed everything for us. So Jonathan and David's story, it doesn't have a happy ending. In fact, this conversation is the last real interaction that we have any record of. They encounter one another briefly in one other recorded instance, and that's it. Jonathan's story ends tragically, but he left a lifelong impact on David. In fact, I think it's safe to say that God used Jonathan in a pretty significant way to help David become king. Like God could have gotten David to the throne anyway, God wanted to, and if Jonathan hadn't been willing, then I'm sure God would have found another way, right? But Jonathan was willing, even willing to sacrifice his own title and his own crown in order for God to use David. So Jonathan was used by God in tremendous ways in David's story. So here's the last thing that I want to say about friendship. Sometimes they aren't lifelong. And that's okay. Sometimes you drift apart, and it's no one's fault, and you just accept the drift. And other times, it's much more painful. And it's okay to deeply mourn a friendship that you valued that just isn't part of your life anymore. However the friendship ended, We can get to a point where we can be grateful for what that person did in our life, for who that person was in our life, for how that person made our lives richer while they were in it, while at the same time being sad, mourning, the feeling of pain over the ending. And whatever your friendship status is today, here's the best news that I can give you. There is one person who always sees the work of God in you, and loves you, and loves to not only call that work of God out of you, but to bring forth more of it. And there is one person who stands with you, and advocates for you, and defends you, and has sacrificed for you, and there is one person who can always be trusted in every circumstance. And when you look around, and it feels like there is no one, there's always Jesus. I know it's like the most cliche thing a pastor can say, but test it. Try Him. See for yourself. Jesus holds up on our loneliest of nights, on our hardest days, in every trial and every heartbreak, and in all our joys and all our victories. Jesus is there, not only cheering you on, but also working alongside of you to bring things together, to bring things to completion. We have a friend in Jesus. If you feel today like you have no other friends, Maybe you're walking through friendship heartbreak in an acute way today. Try him. Test him. Jesus always comes through. I want to invite you to ask Jesus to be with you in whatever you are facing. Let him carry it with you. Let him carry it for you. Let me pray for you. God, you did not create us to be alone. You created us for one another. So I um, I thank you for friends. I thank you for the ones that are still in our lives and for the ones that have come and gone. And I pray for the ones in this room who feel hurt when they think about their friends. I pray for the ones in this room who just desperately need a friend. God, I think today about... Um, Maybe some parents in this room who they just desperately need their kids to have a friend. God, we just pray for, um, for good, true friendships. And God, may it start with us. May we be people who, um, who see your work in others and call it out. May we be people who stand with one another, who advocate for one another, who make sacrifices for one another. And may we be a people who can be trusted. May we be friends who can be trusted. God, we trust you. We thank you for being our model of friendship in all these things and more. Thank you for loving us, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.